Hello world and welcome to the second episode of the Down South IT Podcast. My name's Clark. I want to thank you for coming back. We made it to show number two, guys, so made it past the first big hurdle. And if you've seen the Facebook page over the last few days, you know we've had some pretty big news. I've branched out the show onto several other platforms. That way it's a lot easier for you to listen. We were up on SoundCloud originally. Uh, now We now are on Stitcher, Google Play, and even the big dog of podcasts, iTunes. That's right. They say you're not doing a podcast until you get it on iTunes. Well, guess what? I'm doing a podcast. So... Don't forget, you can find the show's page also on Facebook, um, at Down South IT. I went ahead and posted the show pages, the, the links for the show pages in the, the other forums on Facebook already. But as new episodes drop, I'll, I'll include the links for all of it. That way, it's easier for everybody to see. Uh, please go to the Facebook page, like, share, follow with your friends, family. I really want to kind of grow the page a little bit. And I need your help to do that. So please go on there and check it out. I do share a lot of good articles on there uh, that I think are really good reads and that are relevant. I do read all the articles before I post them on there. I don't just post stuff on there like willy-nilly, except for maybe some of the memes. But those are just mostly funny. So please post on Facebook with any questions, comments, uh, topics you want to hear on upcoming episodes. Uh, you can also send me an email on to downsouthit at gmail.com. Once again, I'll post all the links to the shows as they drop. That way it's a little easier for you. And all of that will be on the Facebook page to, to get started. As I move forward and we expand on to some other things, then, of course, I'll announce that on the podcast and on Facebook uh, once I get everything up and running. So, today... If you don't, if you kind of notice, I want to bring this up real quick too. If you notice my voice sounds a little weird, it's because I woke up and I was a little sick this morning. So at this point, I'm a little bit medicated, but I'm I'm feeling good. So we're gonna we're gonna do this and we're gonna make it go. So I'm gonna make a go of it. We're gonna try it together and we're gonna see how it goes. But yeah, so if you notice a little hoarse, a little scratchy. You know, something that is not quite right. There you go. That's your reason. So, a little bit under the weather. Kind of medicated. Thank you, Sudafed. But we'll go, we'll, we'll, make through, we'll make it through and see how we go from here. So, again, to what's today's episode going to be, be about? Today is actually something a little near and dear to my heart. It's something I know everybody needs to do a little better or could do a little better. But usually we just don't take the time to do it. And that's going to be online privacy and security. Really the one thing that I kind of want, want you to think about after the, the episode today is, is there anything that I can do more than what I'm currently doing to keep my devices secure? And I can tell you almost right now, the answer is going to be an astounding yes. Being that security and and everything is such a broad subject. I'm only going to be focusing on a couple of things uh, today just for constraints of time and everything, you know, because I want to keep this uh, this podcast short and sweet. So today I'm just going to be keeping a couple of things in mind as we go along. But later on this season, I will be doing a, an entire episode strictly on routers, how to set them up, 
to where they're not only the most vital link in your network, but how to make them the first line in defense of your home network also. So kind of be on the lookout for that later on this season. I don't know exactly which episode is going to be, but it's it's forthcoming. So uh, first things first, whenever you think of security, the first thing normal, most people think of is passwords. And what actually constitutes a good password? Uh, you want it, the terminology that whenever you're making your password online and everything, they want strong and complex passwords. And what does that mean? Basically, that means that they want your passwords to be long enough as far as the number of characters, but they also want the characters to be a mix of uppercase, lowercase, numbers, and special characters, which if you look at the top of your keyboard, that's your exclamation point, at, pound, you know, all of the stuff uh, on the number pad on the top of your keyboard. So they, if you want a good password, it'll encompass all of that. It'll be fairly long, you know, 8 to 12 characters long. It'll have mixtures of upper and lower case letters. It'll have numbers, and it'll have special characters in it. So if you do that, it's very unlikely that even a random character generator will come up with your password you know within a reasonable amount of time and that's basically kind of what they want they just don't want a random generator to be able to generate your password we also got uh went ahead and kind of poked around a little bit too and i couldn't find any information for this year but i was able to pull up an article from splash data on the most common passwords for 2017 so basically i'm a i'm not gonna read all of them because it's a list of 19 of them that i have on here but i'm not gonna go through all of them because a lot of them are kind of the same most of them are just strings of numbers you know one through five one through six you know all the way up to nine or zero but they do have a few of them that are kind of interesting the really interesting part is that if any of these are your passwords that you use for most of your devices or god forbid your online banking or anything like that you may want to change your password sooner rather than later because these are the first ones that most hackers try to get in whenever they get in so we'll, we'll go through uh like i said that most of these are strings of numbers but they do have uh the word password monkey login uh, ABC one two three, let me in with no spaces. Star Wars, which was kind of interesting. Dragon, I guess because of Game of Thrones. So I mean, these change from year to year. So you know, I guess whatever is popular in the lexicon is going to be what's what constitutes a popular password that year. Let's see. We also have football, admin, A D M I N. Like if you're logging in as an admin which if you have admin as your password and you are an admin, you need to be shot. Welcome is another one. I love you is one. And the word password again. So the password was actually number two on the list and number 19, which is kind of funky. It, you know, weird stuff like that. That was just kind of a, kind of an interesting article. And uh, being that we were talking about security and passwords and stuff like that, I thought it was kind of, kind of cool. 
And we also uh, want to, one other thing too with passwords. Whenever you do create a password, say for your online banking or, you know, for Facebook or Twitter or something like that. Uh, granted, a lot of people use the same password over multiple accounts. I'm guilty of it too. You know, crap, throwaway stuff, you know, shopping and that kind of thing online. So a lot of that stuff I'm not really too, too all that worried about, to be honest, if somebody hacked it because there's really nothing they can get. Don't use the same passwords across a lot of different sites, especially, you know, for online banking, your mortgage, car payments, uh, you know, the, the big stuff. And especially a lot if you have anything that's you have credit card data or payment data that's saved on that website, even Amazon, eBay, you know, PayPal, that, that kind of thing. Have all of these things be different passwords. If by chance you do get hacked and they find out your password, anything that your name is attached to, they're gonna try the password that worked. Whatever they got, if they happen to say somebody got, got your emails. If you have the same password on your email as you do on your, on your online banking, nine times out of 10, they're gonna, they're gonna clean you out. Especially with stuff like that, just on, to be on the safe side, to have different passwords for everything. That's, that's the main thing that I kinda wanted to get, get out from. But that, that's mostly for computers and tablets and laptops and stuff like that. But if you're talking mobile devices and you're talking phones and, you know, tablets and that kind of thing, uh, iPods, um, you do your PIN number. You can do a PIN. You can do a pattern. You can do their most of the phones nowadays are doing fingerprint sensors so they can Take your fingerprint and you can unlock it with your fingerprint. That's all well and good. But again, if you do put a pin in your phone, don't have it be the same pin that you use at the ATM on your bank on your debit card. So just in case that way, if somebody does happen to steal your phone or if somebody if somebody steals your wallet, the two numbers won't correlate so they can't get to your money. In fact, I, I had mine set that way. I had to reset it. The other thing too, uh, as far as the fingerprints go, whenever your phone or your tablet scans your fingerprints, don't worry about Apple or Google or Amazon or anything like that getting a copy of your fingerprint. That's not how it works. What happens is the sensor makes what they call a hash, which is basically a random string of numbers that's unique to your fingerprint. And that hash is what's saved on your phone. It doesn't get sent to, to Apple. It doesn't get sent to Google. It's stored on your device and on your device only. Not even your carrier, Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they don't even have access to it. It's strictly on the device itself, and that's it. Especially with Apple Pay and Google Pay, they do, they do this too, where you can use your finger to pay. And basically all it does is you scan your finger, and it checks your fingerprint that it scans against the hash that it created when you first did your fingerprint. If they match, payment goes through. If they don't, it doesn't go through. That's that's basically how it works. Okay, so we're going to shift a little bit here um, and kind of talk about either desktops or laptops that have multiple users that use it throughout the day. And basically the best thing you can do with that is everybody has their own account. 
it's not hard to set up different users on Macs and PCs. That way, everybody can have their, their own thing. They can do what they want. Make sure you set it up to where parents are the admins, kids are not. You don't want to give a 10-year-old the keys to the car. I mean, come on. And that'll let you set up parental controls to keep the kiddos from downloading, viewing, playing games and things that you don't want them to see or do until you deem it okay. I'll give it to Microsoft. They did a lot as far as the parental controls on Windows 10, the new versions. It's really easy to set up. It's really detailed. So they did a really good job on letting you know what your kids are doing on the computer. And it, 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 it can help you a lot. Now, granted, Mac users can do it too. In the Apple ecosystem, they don't call it parental controls. It's actually called restrictions. But the trick is with Macs, once you set it up on one device, if your child is signed in on another device, say, say you set it up on a Mac, if they're on their iPhone, whichever their Apple ID is associated with, all of the restrictions that you set up are going to go on to all of the devices that they're, they're associated to. That's cloud computing. Got to love that, huh? So you set it up on one device, it covers everything that they're on, and then you can monitor it from there. Their setup is really nice. I kind of actually kind of like that, to be honest. Everybody knows me. I'm not a big fan of Apple and, you know, the iDevices, but when I read about that, that was pretty cool. So I'll give them that. I'll give them a thumbs up on that. And as far as parental controls go, too, if you don't want to go that route on your phones, uh, if you don't want to just completely restrict stuff, there are a couple of third-party apps. I went through and found a couple of the, the better ones. Now, granted, I did not get paid for endorsing these two. I received no money. I'm not planning on receiving any money. But I found them, and they see, from all the reviews that I read, these two seem to be probably the, the, the two better of the, the ones that I've seen. Uh, the first one is Norton Family Premiere. It covers, I believe, up to five devices. And it, it does a, a lot of different things. It uses age uh, ranges to determine whether or not something is acceptable or not. You can put exceptions in there. If, say, you're 11-year-old, you, they're okay watching YouTube or you know some videos on YouTube and stuff like that, but you don't want them going to specific sites. You don't want them on Facebook just yet. You don't want them on Twitter. You know, you can you can ban those sites outright, and it, it would cover that. The basic filtering, you know, for web filters and app controls and stuff like that is based on the age range that you pick. That one does have a subscription per year. It's not too, too expensive. I think it's 40 or 50 bucks a year, so it's not, it's not terribly bad. The other one is uh, ESET, Parental Control. That one does a lot of the same things age range filtering for web filters and the apps and stuff like that you can do the same thing that one i think the subscription on that one was a little less i want to say it was between 30 and 40 per year that one was also unlimited devices so if you have a lot of devices if you got phones tablets computers you know everything under the sun then you may want to kind of lean toward that and one other thing too that both both of these uh, programs do is they also you can also set screen time limits so and not just screen time per device but screen time per app so if you only want your kid to watch say 30 minutes of YouTube videos a day you set that up when 30 minutes comes up it won't let the app open anymore 
until tomorrow. So it, it just a couple of other things, little third party ideas. You know, if you don't want to go the the full parental control, you know, lockdown route, um, you can go with those. And from what all the research I did, those seem to be the top two. They are for for Android, Linux, uh, PC, and uh, Apple devices. Uh, you can get all, both of those for all of the devices. So just something to, to take a look into if, if that's something that you need. It, it, even just the screen time part might be worth it to some people. Okay, so... We're going to get into the last topic that I wanted to kind of get into, and it's more about online privacy than anything. And with everything being connected, internet so pervasive in our lives every day, you almost need a way to keep your internet traffic private. We give a lot of data to social media sites, to Google, Apple, Amazon. You know, we give them these, all this data freely. They ask and we just say, here, you can have our data. You know, this is all about me. Basically, what we do is we trade them our online identity for the convenience of their services. If anybody knows anything about anything, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Whenever you sign up for Gmail or iTunes or anything like that, yeah, you do sign up. It is free. One thing that a lot of these companies do is targeted advertising. So they take the data that we give them now, granted, it's not, not the personal data, not your name, not your credit card information or anything like that. But your age, your demographic, your way you live, you know, your buying history or listening history with whatever, with the company that, that happens to be. And they take that information and make a little profile of you. And they sell that to advertisers. And they sell that as targeted advertising. You might have even noticed it. Say you bought something on Amazon. The next day, you're on a completely different site, overstock.com. I don't know. Just something off the top of my head. One of the ads that you see on, on the side of the webpage is the item you bought from Amazon yesterday. And I've, I've noticed this a couple of times doing it, and I was just like, oh, how the hell? I was like, oh, yeah, advertising. Never mind. They sell your metadata to advertisers so they can advertise back to you. Now, like I said, we give Google, Apple, Amazon, eBay, you know, all of these big companies we give them our data freely so we can use their services. And one thing some people don't think about, what about your ISP, your internet service provider? What do they know about your online life? What kind of information do they get from you? To be honest, it's kind of scary to know what they actually know about you. Your ISPs, they get your DNS requests, which the DNS is domain name service, which is basically a, a server online that every web page that you go to, that you type in a URL, if you say www.iloveradio.com, whatever, you know, whatever the website happens to be, the first thing your browser does is reach out to a DNS server to reconcile what that physical name that you typed to get the actual IP address so it knows where to go. DNS server is basically just a giant table. And on one side, you have all of the common names, which is, you know, your Facebook.com and all of that. The other is the IP address. I mean, is it easier to remember Facebook.com or is it easier to remember 31.13.93.39? Some people could probably remember the IP address because that one's actually not terrible. For the most part, it's so much easier to use the URL. 
And actually, if I remember right, Google's trying to push to get away from the traditional URLs that we're using now. Uh, I really hadn't had time to research it too much. I know it's it's kind of out there to kind of pushing on it. Whenever I do find out anything else on it, I may post an article uh, on the Facebook page, so kind of keep an eye out for that. Being that your ISP has all your DNS requests, they know every single page that you visited while you're on their network, whether it's you're on your Wi-Fi or whatever. It's, if you're on your home network, your ISP has that page. And if the page is not a secured page that has the HTTPS at the top of it, like whenever you do your online banking or you know stuff like that, if it doesn't have that on there, they can actually go back and see the full page that you saw. Now granted, if it is the encrypted page, the HTTPS page, they can't do that, but they still have the DNS request. So they can build a profile of your online habits, what you like to go, what sites you visit, how often you visit them, and they take that information and they send it to third-party advertisers, just like the other ones do. They're a little bit more sneaky about it, you know, because of how much information they actually can get from you. There is a way to get around them snooping on you. And that is, of course, a VPN or a virtual private network. Now, going through, uh, I know a lot of people's heard VPNs and a lot of people use VPNs for work, connecting to a work uh, network, stuff like that. But what is it exactly? Basically, it's a tunnel. It's an, a tunnel across the Internet. That's all it is. It goes from your computer into another network. And all the information that goes through that tunnel is encrypted and it can't be seen. So as long as that VPN is on, any, any traffic that you go to, whatever website you visit, banking, whatever, it doesn't matter. Everything that you do within that tunnel is protected and it's encrypted, so it can't be seen. Now, if we go through, just to give you a formal definition, my half-coon-ass definition might not suffice. So I went to Wikipedia, and this is what Wikipedia says that a VPN is. A VPN is a virtual private network that extends a private network across a public network and enables users to send and receive data across shared or public networks as if their computing devices were directly connected to the private network. So again, basically it's a tunnel. It's a tunnel from your private network across the public network, which is the internet, to another private network. Now they got a lot of different companies that offer VPNs and they all have similar things that they go through but there's a few things you want to look for whenever you're looking for a vpn and i've got a list that i got from where did i get this from okay oh that was vpnmentor.com had a top 10 list of what to look for when choosing a vpn now i'm gonna run through these kind of quick because we're getting short on time here at the end of this uh, I'm going to give you a couple of VPNs that I actually use. They Again, I'm not advertising for these three. It's just ones I've used, so I'm comfortable with them. I know them. I've used them. If you need want a VPN to use, these three are good, and they, they'll do the job for you. And I'll kind of I'll kind of run through them, too, after we go through this little top 10 list here. Uh, first thing you want to look for is speed. Most VPNs will give you a 100 meg download speed. The thing you want to double check is, will they will they cut your speed down once you get to a certain amount that you're downloaded? 
Like, say, you need to download a file that's a gigabyte big, but after, you know, 100 meg, then they cut your speed down from 100 megabytes a second to 1 megabyte per second. You know, you want to make sure that they, they don't do that. Any of the speeds, you know, are going to be constant, you know, stuff like that. And especially you want to make sure they're high enough to do peer-to-peer stuff, uh, video streaming, anything like that, depending on what you use your computer for. So, but you want to make sure that the speed is going to be high enough and that they don't throttle you. Next on the list is going to be security. And of course, the, the whole idea of the VPN is going to be you need security. So you want to have a safe connection, but you want it to be easy. You want to look out for features that guarantee your safety online. Basically, you want to look for companies that don't keep any kind of logs. They keep your anonymity. They hide your IP address and that they have kill switches. Kill switch is basically if your connection drops, your whole network connection on your device drops. So the only way that you could connect to the internet is through the VPN so it'll be safe. Your third item is going to be accessibility. You want to be able to get to different servers all over the world. You want to have several in the country you're in, but say you want to watch something streaming on Netflix that comes out in the UK at four o'clock this afternoon, but it doesn't come out until nine o'clock, you know, in the US. Set your VPN to a, a server in, in Europe. There you go. You can get to your content, no big deal. So, uh, okay, so next we wanna go to number four is you wanna make sure that the encryption that that VPN uses is good. And basically you wanna make sure that they use a couple of different versions of encryption, either OpenVPN, or IPsec or you know a couple of different things so there's a couple you want to make sure that it's a standard that you've heard of if you've heard of it then you should be pretty good next number five is going to be ease of use um, that's probably one thing that a lot of people notice the most do you have to sign into it every time do you have to pick a server every time I mean a lot of these things kind of have been simplified um, the couple I'm gonna give you in a little bit I'll go over those real quick um, just to make sure that you, you kind of understand, you know, what each can do. You want to make sure that whatever program you use is easy to use. And that, that actually brings into number six is versatility. You want to make sure that you can use that same program over multiple devices. You want to be able to use it on Linux, on a PC, on a Mac, uh, on your iPhone, on, you know, it, whatever, whatever device you want. You should be able to do multiple devices with that same software. And most companies do that. I think of the three that I'm going to give you later, I think OpenVPN is probably the only one that's not mobile compatible. But that may have changed. I really haven't used it in a while. But I'll get back to that in a minute. The next one that they have is going to be number seven, and that's uh, using a static IP. Now, granted, that's really not necessary. Some cases where a static IP would be mandatory or, you know, it could be good in certain cases but it's not really necessary with a vpn especially if you're just looking for you know your online privacy and stuff like that because every time you log into it you're going to log into a different server more than likely and you're going to get a different ip address which is actually good uh let's see we're going to skip over number eight because uh, that one's really uh, nah, okay uh number eight is actually uh peer-to-peer -peer functionality and basically the biggest thing with that is make sure that if you're using peer-to-peer -peer programs, torrents or anything like that, that that VPN doesn't give you any kind of bandwidth restrictions. 
because that could actually be a drag. You know, to, you can only download so much per month or whatever, and that, that's just kind of a drag. Number nine is going to be tech support. Uh, you want to double check and make sure that, if nothing else, the VPN you use has at least a good online FAQ section, or you can email them, or they have a phone number that you can call to get to to some kind of some kind of tech support if you have a problem. So it, just in case something happens to to go go nuts, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes it does. So it's always good to have. And number ten, of course, is you want to double check on the price. With VPNs, there are a lot of really cheap ones. There are some mid-range ones, and there are some pricey ones. But I can tell you now, as far as features go, stay away from the really cheap ones because they're pointless. I think the cheapest one I used was six bucks a month, and that one was actually really good. I liked it. I really did. I think the one I'm using now is a little more than that, but they charge they charge uh, every three months instead of every month. So, but. Uh, Kind of getting into that, the three that I've used, and like I said, I'm not getting paid for these. I'm I'm not, you know, advertising. I'm just letting you know which ones are out there that I've used that I can give you an idea of. And the first one is OpenVPN. It's really good, but it's a pain in the ass to set up. But it gives you a lot of options. It's very secure, and it's it, that that's the biggest hurdle. Is if you can get it set up, it's awesome. But it takes a while to set up, and it's real. It, a lot of with all the options that it gives you, it's pretty daunting when you're looking at it for the first time. The next one is actually Private Internet Access (PIA). It, that one was really easy to use. Uh, th- that one was actually the six dollar a month one. Um, that, like I said, they were really easy to use. It was easy to to set up. The only thing that I I kind of found that was weird with the with that one was you couldn't create your own username or password. They assigned you a username and they assigned your password. So if you forget it, then you got to go through and have them issue you another one. So in a way, it's good. That way, you know it's going to be a random password and people are less likely to get it. So it's good in the security sense. If it's something you're just going to you're gonna use every day and have to sit there and log in and log out and log in and log out, it's kind of, it's kind of annoying. But as far, but the interface and the, the speeds and everything, everything else on, on that one was great. I, I two thumbs up on that one. Um, but currently, I'm using IP Vanish. The speed on on that one's really good. The user interface is clean. You can choose your own username and password. They got a lot of servers all over the place. It is multi-platform, so you can get it for iPhone, Android, PC, Mac, uh, pretty much any device. Uh, the only problem with it that I've seen is every now and then, if you leave it on for days and days and days at a time, it does hang on you a little bit. So that's something to kind of keep, kind of look out for. Of the three, like I said, out private internet access and IP Vanish are probably both in the top five of VPNs that you're going to hear about advertised, and there's a good reason because they're easy to use and they're fairly inexpensive. Uh, IP Vanish, I think, they, like I said, they they charge on a quarterly basis, so every three months, and I think it's like twenty-five bucks. So it still rounds up a little over six dollars a month. You know, well, about eight dollars a month. So it's it's actually it's not bad, completely doable. That's the kind of things you want to kind of keep in in mind if you want to look at protecting your online privacy. And the biggest thing is you want to make sure that it's suited for what you need. 
and wow i just saw the clock and we are running long so okay we're gonna i'm gonna go ahead and wrap up uh, i want to thank you for listening to episode two of the down south it podcast i hope it was informative kind of gave you something to think about we can never be too safe in this digital world guys i want to make sure you're aware of some of the tools that are out there that you can use to help keep you and your family safe uh, don't forget to check out the facebook page at down south it uh, like and follow to stay up to date on new episodes news a few funny pictures thrown there for good measure uh, you can also email me at downsouthit at gmail.com for questions com- concerns comments give me an idea of what you want to hear on future episodes uh, don't forget you can also find the find the podcast on soundcloud on itunes now uh, the google play store and on stitcher i will be posting all the relevant links to facebook so you can get to it uh, you can also just search any of those platforms. Just search Down South IT Podcast and it should come up. Uh, I think it, when you search iTunes, there's like nine podcasts that come up. Mine's going to be the last one, of course. And you can find the show at any one of those platforms at your leisure. I'm trying to spread the show out just to make it easier on you guys so y'all can find it and use whatever device is easier for y'all. I want to thank you again for listening. I do appreciate taking the time. I know this show ran a little bit long, but as always, I want to paraphrase Albert Hubbard as technology can replace the work of many ordinary people, but it can never replace the work of one extraordinary person. Go out and be extraordinary today. Thank you again for listening. This has been the Down South IT Podcast. I will catch y'all next time. Later. Later.